trying to podcast this, so you ready to rock and roll? All righty. Um, maybe some of the people who aren't here will listen into the replay. This is the second in the series of three. Um, last week, we talked about the impossible 18 inches between here and here, that we have certain thoughts up here. Um, I, it's a great idea to think that God would love me, but down here it's like I just don't feel lovable. Or we come up with uh, heart's desires. I really want this, and the head figures out every way that we can't achieve it or can't it can't happen. So there's just this there's this 18 this impossible 18 inches between the two, and we kind of talked about how we got there. That the early voices in our upbringing, what what's caught, what's taught. And y'all get the difference. Those words are very different, but they're both very potent. They're things that we are taught by authority figures, by teachers, by pastors, by Bible school teachers, Sunday school teachers. I mean, just authority figures are things that are taught. But most of life is caught in a look, in a body language, in what is done to us or not done. Neglect, abuse, all of that is not so much taught. It's caught. And it, and it really screams more profoundly and more loudly inside of us than what we're actually taught. Like a concept that we're taught does not scream as loudly as an abuse that we, we've caught. Does that, does that make sense? So this week, we're going to kind of continue with that same idea of the impossible 18 inches and, and maybe move toward, okay, so what do we do about this? Because this is um, this is the issue that we face in Pathway, and we faced it more than any other issue is, especially when Wayne was alive, you'd get this double barrel from both of us that say, you know, and here we were in our 60s, but, but say, you know, we've come to a place in our life when finally we've experienced the love of God. We feel it here. It's not just a concept that we learned in class or that we used to preach from such and such a passage in Scripture. This is a reality. This is where we live. This is our experience. And, and I'm, I'm just, I, it, I'm kind of embarrassed that it took me so long to get there. Um, and so, so I want to help us unpack it so that all of us can get there maybe at a younger age before you become an antique <laughs> like me. So that's, that's a, you say, man, that wouldn't fit if you did. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, so um, we always, like, we're really like, how do we get this across? How do we? Explain to people how this transition has happened where the, the concepts God loves me in my head have translated into the experience in my heart that I really feel and live in the love of God. It's just, um, yeah. So that's where, we're kind of, where we kind of are tonight in this second in the series. Uh, next week will be a little different. This week we're going to talk about what we can do to close this gap, this impossible gap. Next week... Um, we're going to talk about what God does, which is astounding. It's just astounding what God does to make this happen because he's all in. He, he created us for these to be united, for the head and heart to be united. And when they're not, um, we're out of sorts and we're not, we're not healthy. Um, so anyway, so anyway, this doesn't talk to this, this doesn't talk to this, or if they talk, they argue, they they shout, they, you know, they don't, they're, they're not, the heart and the head aren't getting along. So there's, there's two things that, that have to happen. The, the first thing is that we have to understand 
that some of the things that we conceptually believe, we were either taught them or we caught it. The things that we concept, not here, not what we feel, but the things that we believe to be true are not true. And um, we could start with the things that I've been told about myself are not true, or we could, st we could start with the things that I've been told about other people are not true. But I think this, if, if we don't get the one I'm going to say now, right, none of the other, the other two don't matter. We have to have the right, we have to have the truth about God in our head. And, and I'm not saying the four spiritual laws, and I'm not saying uh, the religious truth that you get from religious, traditional religious orthodoxy. And, and, and you, I'm, I'm on going on record with this, so if I'm going to get in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble. But I know how everybody else on staff feels, so I'm not afraid. <laughs> um, but we've been fed a line by Orthodox Christianity. This is just not true. And, and the reason they, they do this, and, and I was part of it, and grew up in a family that was part of it, and came from an ancestry that was part of it, so I understand it, so I can speak with some degree of authority on this. Religious orthodoxy had to use shame and fear in order to maintain the system. You know, you have to do that to keep uh, butts in the pew and keep money in the plate and keep the whole herd of people that's under your care given in the direct, going in the direction that you think they should go. And you may, you may disagree with this and you're free to do that, but I've been there and done that. I grew up in it. I saw it. I smelled it. I tasted it. I was the recipient of it, and then I, I actually was one of the criminals in it for a while as, as a senior pastor. Criminal is not a good word. Now, perpetuators? That, that word work? Whatever. I did it. It was done to me, and I, and I did it. I spread it. And, and, the, and the reason that, that this goes on is because it works. I mean, how did the Soviet Union work all that time? They worked with shame and fear. They kept their people afraid. And they kept them ashamed and down, beat down, and feeling bad about themselves. And so, um, I don't, maybe this is not your experience, religious experience, but my religious experience had a number of occasions where I literally, as a child, was dangled over the flames of hell with, on a thread. You know, and if you, you better shape up, you better get your stuff together, or, and maybe it wasn't that extreme with you. Maybe it was God loves you, but yeah, you, you could do a lot better. You know, you could really improve your act. You could, you could do a lot. He loves you, but you're not one of his favorites because you just, you're kind of a loser. You know, you're kind of a, so it's all, there's all different intensities of this. My intensity was that I literally, my father, our father didn't preach this. Our father preached grace. But um, I was in camp meetings and revivals and stuff where the, where the preacher got up and buddy, he, he blistered you. He blistered you. And so there was fear and shame, fear and shame, fear and shame. So, and, he, and I've, I've even talked to a lot of people from Broadway here who didn't grow up under that, and yet they still feel the same way about God. I'm not, I'm, God is very conditional in how he feels about me. I understand why he would love you and you and you, but I, I don't feel that love. And, and we try to get that feeling that we're loved before, prior to correcting the false idea here. The arrangement, and we've talked about this over and over, but we need to just keep going on. The arrangement here, God's love for me is never, has never been, isn't now, and never will be based on my lovability. 
and tr run that through spell check, it doesn't work. There's no such word as lovability. It flags it every time, but I like that word. So it's not, we could say somebody, somebody has huggability or something like that. Why can't we say lovability? But anyway, it's not God's affection or feelings toward me. God's feelings toward me are not in any way contingent or based on my lovability. That needs to sink in. God's love for me are based, is based totally, exclusively on his ability to love. This is about God's ability to love, not my unlovability. Do, are we tracking there? We have, we have been thinking this has to, if this thing between me and God is going to work, I got to up my game. I got to shine my shoes. I got to put my deodorant on. I've got to work with my attitudes. I've got to manage my behavior. I've got to I've got to do something to impress him, to catch his eye, to gain his approval. If this thing between me and God's going to work, it's on my shoulders. And I've got to do something about it. This is a lie. It's it's just straight up a lie. If this thing with God is going to work, I simply my job, if you want to have a job, you want a job, put air quotes around it. My job is simply to receive God's love, period. That's it. That's, that's all I got to do is to receive and say, okay, I'm going to believe you love me. Warts and all, mess ups and all, failures and all, sins and all, past and all, you know, violent crimes, terrible crimes, deceits, whatever you want to say. Just come up with your own list. It doesn't matter. God, God has the ability to love his way right through all that mess. So that's the first thing that we have to do. We have to deal, and y'all know the big word for that is theology. Theology is simply what you believe about God. That's, everybody says, oh, that's an academic word. I like it because it, it really uh, cuts a wide track. It, it, it gathers in all this. But how... This, this, how do you feel about God is based on what you believe about God. Gets that? What, how you feel about him is based on what you think about him. And so if you have bad theology, then you have bad feelings. So we have to get our theology to the place where we say, in our, even if you don't feel it here yet, in our heads we say, it's, it's nailed down, I've said it in concrete, however you want to, those are male terms, sorry, I don't know what a female term would be there, but you, you, you nail it down. You secure it. It's not going to move. Nail it down conceptually. God loves me. That, that's the first thing we need to do. The problem is, the problem is, is that only takes care of our ideas, our concepts. It does not silence the voices in our head. It does not make them shut up. They're not going to give up. They're just going to keep your worthless you're scum, you're just as bad as you ever thought you were, or, you know, whatever. See, you failed again. See, you hurt so-and-so again. See, you lied again. See, you were a hypocrite again. Whatever it is, those voices, you are, you are who you've always been, and you're not going to change. You're just going to be that way. Well, that's not so much in your head as it is in your heart. So those voices don't come from what you were taught they probably come from what, from what you caught growing up. The way you were treated by your caregivers, your best friends, your peers, your teachers, your, 
you know, whoever, whoever it was that was most influential in your life, their voices are still screaming in your head. Well, mm, sometimes they just whisper. Sometimes a whisper is more profound than a scream. But they're, they're speaking to you. You're worthless. You're no good. God would never, you know, accept you, blah, blah. And these voices are, are just continually doing that. Okay, so let's get to the solution to the two. Okay, so the first is we have bad thinking. That needs to be corrected. And we have hurt feelings, and that needs to be healed. This is correction. This is healing. Does that make sense to everybody? You heal this, you correct this. So I'm, I'm going to tell you where I went. Doesn't mean you have to go here. I'll just tell you where I went. I was pissed at Paul. I was just tired of his. I mean, who looks at all the ladies in the crowd and says, sit down and shut up? So I just kind of had a beef against Paul. I know he's in scripture, but it's like, what? And when Jesus says, hey, everybody who's weary and heavy laden, come to me. You know, all the little kids come and jump up in my lap. Everybody. Lost sheep doesn't tell us whether it's male or female. He went after it. So we have Jesus with these great big arms hugging people. And, and, and you got Paul saying, uh, you know, we have, need to have order here. And so all you women sit down. That was his solution. All you women sit down and shut up. I understand that that was the culture back then. But still, it's like, Paul, really? That's the best you can do? So I was pissed at Paul. I was kind of done with the Old Testament, all the killing, all the slaughter, all the legalism, all that. And I thought, the only, the only part of Scripture that I really can't shake, this was in my rebellious time, but the only part of Scripture I can't shake is the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just can't, I can't get away from them. So I thought, well, okay, so I'll just camp out there. So I wrote a book. I, I camped out in Mark, so, and I wrote a book, Mark, each day on the book of Mark. And I mean, I camped out there. I read it over and over and over and over and over. And then I wrote this book. That was the first one I wrote on one of the Gospels. You know, Mark was young. You all know that? He was the youngest writer. He was maybe early 20s. I don't know. Remember in the last of the Gospel of Mark when they arrest Jesus in the garden and the dude runs away and runs out of his towel? <laughs> He runs away kind of in his tidy whities that was, that was most likely Mark. And he was just a young guy, and he knew Jesus, but he knew him as a young guy. And so his, his uh, impression of Jesus uh, was through the eyes of a, a probably a late teen, early 20-year-old guy. So he just, he's all excited, and so he says, and straightway, and right away, and straight, you know, every, he's always in a hurry, and he's got 16 chapters, that's it. Matthew's got 28 chapters. All these other gospels, great big long things. Mark writes this little thing and he says, I just want to give you the story of Jesus and give it to you quick so there's not great big long teaching and all this stuff. So I started there. So it wasn't so much Jesus teaching, it was just watching him. Do you get what I'm saying? It was like Jake was talking about nursing school today. and I mean, there's, you can't catch your breath. It's, you get done with one thing and boom, you start right into another. That's the gospel of Mark. You, you get done with one thing and boom, you're in something else, and then you're in something else, and then you're in something else. But to me, I, I thought, <laughs> this, like I have to make this decision. This is between me and God, okay? So just leave me alone. So as I went through that, I thought, you know what? This Jesus is cool. I Like I had to... He, he was out to get my approval, you know. But still, I thought, I do, I'm pissed at Paul. I'm, not, I'm kind of done with the Old Testament. This Jesus guy is pretty cool. And I'd spent a 
bunch of money to go to school to learn about this book. But I'd never really taken time. I'd taken time to learn about Jesus, but I'd never taken time to get to know him in this document. Like personally, like what kind of cologne does he wear? And could I pick him out in a crowd? You know what I'm saying? Get, it, get to know him personally. And so I, I camped out in Mark. I wrote that book and I thought, okay, all right, you got me. And, and, then, I, and then I came here and got into recovery. And, and I thought, well, what, what book am I going to get into next? So then I started concentrating on Matthew. And, and I thought, whoa, Matthew is a, a reformed or recovered or rescued, whatever you want, a tax collector. He worked for Rome. And boy, howdy, he gets grace. Because he was the most vile. He was, he was the kind of poop you scrape off the bottom of your feet. And Jesus went by his booth and said, I want you. And he called him in, brought him into the team. And you, you can only imagine what the other disciples said when he brought him in the room. Like, what is he doing here? You know, but he included him in. And, and so Matthew has this radical idea of grace. And he, and he has the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. He has this all this big stuff that... And so as I was looking at this, I thought, okay, now, now I'm getting a different slant on Jesus. I'm getting a Jesus who sounds like he's inviting us back to Eden, the garden. And so that started to... Now I don't just think he's cool. I, I see that he's uh, a soul healer. I don't know what else to say. He, want, he wants to heal my soul. And my soul was hurting then, at that point because I was just starting in recovery. And it's like the Jesus I needed to touch my soul and, and to heal the parts that had been broken and, and bent and bruised. I thought, wow. This, this has started in 05. No Paul, no Old Testament, just the Gospels. Mark, then Matthew. And, then once I, and I wrote West of Eden, which was about Matthew. And then I thought, well, where do I go next? And I was going to go to Luke, and I thought, no, I'm going to go to John. So I went to John. And then I started to get a whole other slant. Because in John, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? They didn't do a real good job of describing him in the Old Testament. And Paul tries, but he doesn't quite get it. Let me tell you how you know the Father. If you look at me, you will get to know the Father. Relationally. Not conceptually, but relationally. You'll get to know the Father. And so I camped out in John. For a long time, I wrote John's Jesus, um, you know, as, as a result of that, all that. And at that point, I, um, do you remember what, and I've said this a lot of times, and you remember how John referred to himself? Remember that? Several times in his gospel, he referred to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And I said, I want to be that. I don't want my identity to be Look how humble he is, or look how much he loves God, or look how hard he works. Or I want my identity to be, who is Wendell? Wendell is, is loved by God. That's my claim to fame. So when I put my head on the pillow at night, I don't have to say, how did Wendell do today? Because it's not about me anymore. How well did you love others today? It's not about me anymore. Now when I go to bed at night, I can simply say, how did God do today? He kicked butt. He loved all over me and loved the people around me. So that was another paradigm shift. So do you understand, do you see, are you tracking with me? As I camped out in the Gospels, forget Paul for a while, 
I like Paul now, by the way. I do. And I like the Old Testament. But just camped out in the, in the Gospels. And I came to the place where this concept began to leak down into here. And I began to feel and experience God's love in my heart. I started in 05. This is 2022. Started in 05. You got to pay your dues. Suit up and show up. If you don't like to read, listen to audio. Listen to it and listen to it over and over and over. And don't go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go Matthew, 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 Matthew. Until, like I say, you can pick him out in a crowd. You know what kind of cologne he wears and what kind of hamburger he buys. You, you, you know this guy. Once you get him, then go to Mark or whatever. But don't, don't just go through the gospel. Listen to me, bossy me. I'm just, that's how it worked for me. I don't want to get to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want to get to know Matthew or Mark or, you see what I'm saying? Get to know them before you move on to the next one is my humble advice, opinion. That came out all wrong. We can edit this, right? <laughs> Those who are listening in. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so that was a huge, John was a huge game changer. And now Luke, I'm, I'm working on another book, but I, I don't, I just haven't had time to finish it. But uh, I'm not going to get into Luke. But Luke has a whole new other slant on Jesus that is giving me another view of Jesus. So, in, in my, my mind has been reprogrammed. I don't know how else to say it. My mind has been reprogrammed from the, the trash that I would... Now, who, is that ugly? No, it's not ugly. They, didn't, they weren't trying to teach me trash. They, knew, they taught all they knew to teach. But it was not true. It wasn't right. So my mind has now been reprogrammed from all that stuff that was in good intention taught to me but was not exactly right. Okay, so that takes care of the head and it starts to leak down into the heart. The, the second thing that I would say, and I know our time's getting short, the second thing I would say is, is the heart is taken care of right here and in our midweek groups. The heart is taken care of as you deal with your memories and your those events in your life that shape you, that you remember, those conversations that cut you, the rejection you felt, the abuse that you felt, all the things that you experienced that damaged and bent and bruised and hurt you growing up, doesn't matter how big or small, if you remember them and they make you feel something, you need to deal with it. Let me say that again. If you have a memory, I got a red bicycle for Christmas and I wanted a blue one. So... But if that memory makes you feel something, you need to explore it. If it's just a benign memory that says, I remember I wanted a red one, they gave me a blue one, that's okay. You don't have to explore it. But if, you, if it carries with it emotional, uh, an emotional trigger or response, that needs to be explored. And so the formula, and I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to make apologies for that anymore because it's a tried and proved formula here in Pathway. The formula for that is you think through those memories. You let them mull around. You mentally explore those memories, and then you write them down. This is what happened. This is how it made me feel, and this is what, how I've adjusted my life to not let that happen again, and this is how it's affected the people in my life. That's our fourth step when you have 12 steps. It's our third step in, when you just have eight steps. But you, you write your inventory, and you don't have to write your whole life you just write those memories that cause feelings. 
and you, and you write them down. And then the last part of the formula is you find somebody you trust and you say, can I tell you what I wrote? You either read it to them or you just share it with them. And some of us are stupid enough. I'm not going to say brave enough because it's just stupid. I don't know why we do it. We actually get up here and share our stories to the whole group. So that means you were stupid the other night. <laughs> I don't mean to say that because Joe got up and shared her story. <laughs> I didn't, didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> but you have to admit it's courage slash a bit of stupidity. Like, what, what am I doing? Do what? Okay. <laughs> but it, 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 it's scary. It's scary, scary to tell your story. But you can't believe what it does when you do. You can't believe what happens inside you. The, the, all those little toxic voices, they just kind of... Does anybody ever watch The Wizard of Oz anymore? And how some of those witches just melt in the floor. I mean, they start out so intimidating and yeah, and then all of a sudden they just melt in the floor. And these little voices, they just kind of melt away and they no longer have the impact or the power. They whimper every now and then, but they don't have the power. So the concepts are corrected by, by getting to know Jesus. And then the wounds are healed by, by us sharing with each other. Thinking, writing, telling. Thinking, writing, telling. And we do it over and over and, and, you know, find healing as we do it. There are probably other ways, okay? There are probably other ways, but this is kind of what we've discovered over 16 years of pathway. Is it 17 now? 16, 17 years of pathway. This is what we've discovered, that it, it works. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So we just keep, we keep doing this. Okay, we're done. Uh, let's talk to Jesus for a minute. Now you can you you can lead. I'll lead some prayer. Jesus, uh, we're just so grateful that you don't leave us where we are. You could have that guy by the pool, thirty years. You could have walked right by him and said, "Dude, have a fun time." Sorry, it sucks to be you. But instead, you said, "I think you could get up and walk and carry your mat." Why don't, why don't you try that? And so we hear your voice of encouragement and hope talking to us and saying, there's a, there's a better way. Would you like to follow me into it? So we're on the pathway. And we, we're, we're with you. And we're loving it. And we don't know what's around the next bend, but we're, it's going to be good. So we'll talk to you later.